What's up, y'all? Welcome to class. This is Diseducation. My name is Mignon. I'm a Black non-binary teacher. And I'm a Vietnamese-American teacher named Quinn. Together, we are looking at what it's really like inside U.S. classrooms and schools through our eyes as teachers of color. In other words, what's happening behind closed classroom doors? Because the reality is that U.S. education is burning, and students and teachers of color are the ones on fire. This is Diseducation. Here with us today is Teacher X. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey! We're so glad you're here. I know, welcome. Teacher X is a Black teacher working within 15 miles of where Mignon and I taught together. However, the schools, neighborhoods, and cities are starkly different. The school Mignon and I taught at was a public school in an affluent community. The student demographics were majority East Asian and white with very few Black, Indigenous, and Latina students. Um, Teacher X, can you describe what your current school that you're working at is like versus ours? Mm-hmm. Um, most of my students are Latinx and um, Black. What about staff demographics? Curious about that. I feel like the staff is pretty diverse. Like, there's more Asian and white teachers, yeah. and there's like maybe five black teachers and like yeah. a few Latinx teachers. Got you. Teacher X, I'd love to know about how long you've been teaching. And I know you're, te- you're, you're teaching um, near where we taught, but have you taught somewhere different? Yeah. Before this, I was at a charter school and I was teaching middle school students. Can I ask um, what grades, actually? Sixth grade. Ooh. Yeah. So quite young. Yeah. yeah. Little babies. <laughs> um, and then this is my second year in high school as a high school teacher. Wow. Okay, so you're three years in. And you worked at a charter, too, right? I have. Yeah. And that was quite an experience. Yeah, it was. Oh, my God. <laughs> These charter schools. <laughs> you know, I'm... You all can't hear, but there were big nods <laughs> in the room. <laughs> I have student taught. And volunteered in charter schools, but I've never really taught their full, you know, like the entire year. Why did you individually decide to maybe look for something else after spending time in a charter school? Um, For me, it was just a micromanagement in charter schools. Like we Mm -hmm. had to use certain curriculum. Listeners can't see, but Mignon is nodding their head <laughs> intensely. There are times when, like, the day of the black, oh, we're going to come record your classroom for our, spons- for our sponsors, or just, mm-hmm. like, things like that that just put more pressure on you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, in theory, the ways that charters are set up, set up they have a lot of, like, amazing things. I met amazing teachers mm-hmm. at the charter, but it just felt like we were all spread too thin. Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't have all the resources. We didn't have all the time that we needed to do our job well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, charter, at least my experience, they tend to cut corners. Big so time. we needed um, teachers to teach ESL classes. And rather than hiring teachers who are credentialed mm-hmm. in that, mm-hmm. they had teachers who are already teaching there, and mm-hmm. they just gave them like a $1,000 stipend. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you can work towards your credential. So, yeah. And we didn't really have an organized curriculum, right? Yeah. So just like cutting corners, um, a why, lot of expectations. Why do you think these corners were being cut? Was it just they didn't have the, the resources, like the people, the human resources, or I just, the funding? From my experience, it just feels like charters are run like a business. Mm. Yep. Like, if it saves money, because they have the money. Mm. I feel like the school that I was at was more resourced than the one that I'm at right now. Mm. That's interesting. But it just felt like... Like there was a bottom line Like sometimes. They just... To save money. To save but money. there's already money. And focused on optics. Like, I remember that there 
a, a lot of stuff again around like the supporting multilingual learners and supporting students with disabilities. Yeah. But there was a lot of like, well, we're just going to give them the answers to the test. We're just going to mm. do this or that because we're not actually focused on the kids learning anything. We're focused on our numbers being really high. Like mm. that's what we want to see. And that that was really disheartening. And also I'm like, I don't want to touch that with 10 foot pole because I don't know if this is legal. <laughs> and as a person, I'm just asking because I'm really genuinely curious. It's a world I don't know as much about. Like why are the numbers so important? That I don't actually know. I'm assuming it has to do with funding. Mm. Yeah, that was our experience. Um, yeah, I feel like our it was a lot of like standardized testing, and then a lot of our PDs would look at the students' results and mm-hmm. see what we can do to like improve those testings. And mm-hmm. again, all great things, but also you're trying to make all students to perform one way when mm-hmm. students do so many different things that teachers have to do in the classroom yeah and um, only giving them one output modality like the standardized yeah. test yeah. right mm. so it was really hard to balance out like relationship building and like actually meeting my students needs and then in the back of my mind knowing like oh they have to score really well so mm-hmm. we can get more yeah. funding so mm-hmm. just a lot of pressure on like test 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 whereas yeah. the school i'm at now they kind of like let me do what i want mm-hmm. they give us a curriculum a but bit I don't, more autonomy yeah i don't mm-hmm. feel like people are like watching me to make sure i'm teaching that which is interesting because yeah. this is at a public school yeah and i do think that for a lot of people who aren't in education there is this misconception that there's more freedom with charter schools that, than there are in public schools but, uh, yeah i think both of our experience has been really different because i relate to what you're saying teacher x that when i was working at a charter they wanted us to be testing students' Lexile levels weekly with Mm. these standardized tests. They wanted me to be delivering this springboard curriculum that was just so dry and inaccessible. And then, I don't know if this was true where you were at, I'd love to hear, but the charter I worked at wasn't at will, so there was no union protections. Mm. None of our stuff was protected. You know, we had to do lunch duty, all these different things, because none of our teacher time was protected. Yeah. No, we also mm-hmm. have duties like coming early in the morning or during lunchtime, and it, it's just a lot. I mm-hmm. thought it was just because it was the middle school. No, that's that charter stuff. Really? <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. This is all really illuminating, um, especially because, you know, like I think general public often thinks like the whole point, the whole existence of charter schools is so that you can be freed from the constraints of public. In my mind, mm-hmm. I think that's why a lot of people advocate for charter. So and it's really interesting to hear this. Yeah, in my experience working at a charter, the focus has been let's get standardized test scores as high as possible and let's push out any kid who's not meeting those standards. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're not about supporting these kids, we're about keeping our numbers where they are. So if that means you gotta go, you gotta go. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they have more selection and who is even let in to mm-hmm. begin with. So mm-hmm. then you go to a charter and like, oh, all these kids are like, you know, like they full expectations. They don't have as high needs. But that's because they're kind of like handpicked in it's a way. private school without being a private school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Teacher X, can you talk to us a little bit about your teacher prep program? What was that experience like? Stressful. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, tell us more why. 
Was it the Ed TPA? To be honest, it's the Ed TPA. Isn't it, it was everything. So I went to an Ivy um, League school, mm-hmm. and it was all online. That was not the plan. Initially, I wanted to like maybe take a gap year and like explore other things, but with the pandemic, it just made sense for me to like be in school because I just there was just so much uncertainty. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just a very difficult time because it was like the George Floyd protest. It was like the Me Too movement also hit like um, Minneapolis. And so just like so many things that were happening. See, I started getting migraines from like February mm. to April. I had wow. migraines like yeah. every single day. Um, there'll be days when I would lesson plan, a whole lesson and I'm done. And I'm about to log in to start teaching my Zoom class with my high school students. And then my migraine just hits. And mm. I have to tell my teacher who I was working with, like, I cannot teach today. Oh, right? Mm-hmm. So it was, I think, maybe because of, like, the culture of being at an um, Ivy school as well. Like, where there's just so, the expectations are so high. And so self-care just gets thrown out the window. And this mm. pressure of, like you're around all of these people who like are really smart. So you feel like you have to be really smart too, not realizing that you're here for a reason. You made it for, you don't have to prove mm-hmm. anyone. So um, I think the final question I have for you with the teacher prep program is, do you feel like it fully prepared you for in-classroom teaching? Um, what about the way that it, like the way that we have to like exist in school buildings, the like social dynamics of the workplace? That kind of stuff. Do you feel like it prepared you for what would come up for you there? Um, yes and no. <laughs> so I don't, I think most of our classes were focused on like student centered and like lesson planning, which is all great. But I think the things about how you need to function as a human being in that setting, I got those things from the pushback that the program got. Oh, um, wait, what do you mean by that? So you asked me about the diverseness of my program. Um, it was not diverse. Um, there was predominantly white. And so every year there's this frustration of the program claiming that they're like anti-racist, but there's always the idea of if you don't have teachers of color, um, so how can you say you're anti-racist? Um, and so there were some students, um, there were some the the teachers in the program or my peers in the program who would push back and demand the program to like talk more about like the schools to prison pipeline talk more about abolitionist work mm-hmm. so as a well the program trying to listen to the feedback they were getting from us there was a separate class created and there was also students who would create um like workshops mm-hmm. outside of the program, so it wasn't required, but if you go, mm-hmm. you know, you get a lot from it. And so I would talk to other teachers who were more like abolitionist, mm-hmm. and they were the ones who were focusing more on like mental health is important. Mm-hmm. It was never focused on how do you survive in this environment. Mm-hmm. It was only what can you do for the students, mm-hmm. which again is great, but that's why there's so much burnout because a lot of people in my program, a lot of them quit in their first mm. year or like their second year right because mm. there's no no one really tells you how you're supposed to function as a human being mm. um, this brings us back to a previous conversation you and i have had teacher x where you talked about how this year you know you're seriously having to kind of sift through whether or not this profession is something that you still really want to stick with and you know is is the one for you um and so i'm wondering right what has been making it particularly hard for you? What is leading to this burnout? 
I think it's just all the student needs that I have to meet on a daily basis. Um, and just knowing, I guess going back to like, do we have enough resources? Like if you have 30 students and most of those kids have IPs or like need some type of like language support, it would make sense to have another adult in the classroom, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and then there's some students, um, yeah, with like just the language barrier as well. There's one student, some students who can like barely speak English and I want to still support them because they're still like in my class for a reason and there's like what they have to still say is still important. Mm. Like, okay, like, oh, you are not doing that assignment because you don't understand a single word that I said. Okay, how can I support you, right? Mm -hmm. um, so eventually, I, like as I get more experience, I hope more and more students yeah. um, but I think the beginning is always hard because you realize like oh my gosh like there's all these things that you need and I can't provide it to you all the time mm -hmm. um, how have you experienced um, or you know or had challenges um, in terms of creating that work-life balance and how do you think that is affecting burnout mm -hmm. especially my first year, I would, like, get to school at, like, 7.30 a.m. and leave at, like, 8 p.m. Mm. <laughs> with the custodians. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. It was so bad because I was trying to, like, okay, what can I do? What can I do? Yeah. Right? Until I literally burnt out. Mm. Um, and so this year, I've done better at, like, leaving work at work. But mentally, I'm still practicing that mm. because sometimes students do tell me things about their lives sometimes mm -hmm. emotional hold yeah some, hard, sometimes yeah. something happens at school and all I can think about is like okay how can I support them better tomorrow or mm -hmm. should I have said this or should I go home so it's just like I, the, I, the, it, it just feels like there's this urgency all the time yeah. mm -hmm. um, and so even if I'm not at work I have to force myself to stop thinking about work yeah. And I have to tell myself, I'm going to worry about that when I'm at work and I'll figure it out somehow. Um, like last year, I would work on weekends, but this year I refuse to work on a Sunday. Yes, yes. And okay. I have not. And sometimes I tell myself, well, let me take that back. Um, I think I am like kind of burnt out. So I sometimes I really cannot work, even mm -hmm. if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, I like guess it's, it's not in me right now. It's not, yeah. But so that's one thing I'm proud of myself. I have not worked a weekend. I've enjoyed my weekend. Yes, um, And right now I try to tell myself on Mondays, it's okay to stay a little bit late. It used to be 6 p.m. <laughs> and then Tuesday I say, okay, 5.30. And then Wednesday I can go home at 4. And then Thursday and Friday I can leave at 3.30. <laughs> You got a taper off program. Yeah. Okay. But I'm going to... Sound was, like an athlete. <laughs> okay. I'm also trying to be... I don't want to be too hard on myself, too, mm. because I stress out because I care so much, right? Yeah. But you can't pour from an empty cup, so I have to yep. keep reminding myself you care, but you have to be energized tomorrow. So I'm proud to say, I think, this weekend, last week, I left by 5.30 on Monday. I have not stayed to 6. Today I left at 4.30. So, incredible. Okay. Yes, I'll talk about so it. we're slowly inching up to 3.30. Yeah. 
Um, but as you coming early, but <laughs> yeah, no. do what we can to move toward the things that we know we need, you know, yeah. but one of the things I'm, that I'm really relating to with what you're talking about is that emotional holding. Like, I feel like, I think a lot of us go into this work because we're empathetic or we yeah. can relate to our students. And so, you know, if you imagine having over a hundred students every single year, you're kind of holding their lives and their emotions. Mm-hmm just all the time I and feel especially like, teaching yeah. the humanities they offer so much of themselves yeah. and their internal worlds to us have you been able to navigate it all better this year a way to kind of like turn that my quiet that mind off from like thinking because to be honest I don't know if I ever fully figured out the switch or how to do that myself mm. I'm practicing um when I get home though I like Take a shower, so that's why I had to call you. <laughs> You're like, this is necessary. <laughs> I will not be coming until the shower happens. Yes, <laughs> because the shower to me is like a way I'm cleansing oh, the day's there's stress. Like a lot of intent behind yeah, it. I'm like yeah. letting it go. You know, trying to journal. I also am seeing therapy as well, mm-hmm. just to like manage stress better. Yes. So I'm just very way more yeah. intentional, mm-hmm. like from day one yeah. this year. We're a podcast that obviously focuses on the intersection of race and education, particularly for teachers of color. How has race and racism impacted your own work? I think as a black teacher, I think I'm just always aware of my race, Um, especially teaching like ethnic studies and U.S. Mm -hmm. history. So certain subjects, especially like my first year, like teaching about slavery, I was just like, God, this is so hard. Like, I want them to know, like, how bad it was, but also, like, how do I talk about, like, resistance, and, um, so, or even, um, because I present myself, like, with, like, my 4C hair, and just the way that I present myself, students are not used to, so sometimes I might get comments from students about my hair, um, or because, I'm aware of like the color colorism that exists, like not just in the black community, but in every community. Like I'm always aware of like if students are making fun of each other for their skin tones, and mm-hmm. um, so I think, especially at the beginning, students try to get used to me because of um, being a black woman or even being African. Um, I think at the beginning, I get a lot of questions of like. How'd you get here? Did you swim? Do you have a house? So you can see that um, students are unaware of a lot of the identities that I hold. And so I feel like at the beginning, especially after a lot of explaining, but that's also why I went into ethnic studies because they mm-hmm. get to learn about these things. Um, so I try to give them grace. Like I haven't faced like blatant racism from any of the teachers, but also I'm still getting used to the campus as well because it's only my second year. Mm-hmm. In my first year, I felt kind of like isolated from everybody with where my classroom was. Yeah. So I think this year I'm like branching out more and I think I'm going to know more about. Yeah, like how. what the school culture, the staff community is like. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because Quinn and I's experience I think was really different. We were forced to work on a team with other teachers. Mm. So that idea of like closing our classroom door and just kind of doing our thing didn't exist for us and as a black teacher 
I've heard the advice that the only way to stay in this career long-term as a black teacher is to close your door and teach. Mm -hmm. That just the experience of being black in this profession can make it that that's the only survivable tactic. And I don't know if you've heard that or, or seen how that's played out for you or other black teachers that you know. I'd love to hear from you on that. Mm-hmm. No, I've definitely heard of that. Sometimes I'll feel the pressure to close my door, but also everybody gets it mm. because there is an ethnic studies class, right? Um, and my thing is, if you have a problem with the way that I teach, then it's not a place for me. This is at your current school? My current school. The vice principals are like, oh, black men. Okay. They get it. Mm. Like, these are things that students see, like they're being affected by all of these systems. Mm-hmm. I'm teaching students how to read the world. So a lot of like systems of oppression are affecting students of color from low-income communities, um, black and Latinx students, and that's who I work with. So as we're learning these things, they see it all around them. Mm-hmm. And the admin see it. So all the teachers have, at least the ones that I've communicated with, mm-hmm. have that lens. Um, and again, I'm I don't like being in spaces where I can be my authentic self. And so if there is somebody who doesn't like the way that I teach, they haven't really come in my space. Since you're thinking about like, what is sustainable for me to stay in this career? Have you thought at all about going to a school or moving after this year to a place that maybe is more suburban, but has more funding or more resources or more of, I don't know, the items that you need? Or is that just like off the table? No, it's not off the table. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> um, yeah, I think about that a lot. Yeah, I think about that. Like, I tell myself after this, I am. If I leave, um, I would want to work at a school that is more resourced. Um, but I also have to. You know, I don't. I want to say you can't have it all. I just, I know that there are other schools where I can go to that I can get paid more. And I think sometimes that gets frustrating, Um, just seeing how much I have to do and seeing my paycheck and then seeing other people who did the same program I did, like getting paid like Mm -hmm. 10K more, 20K more. I'm just like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I do have those questions a lot after this school I would want a school that's more resource um because as much as i want to stay here long term yeah i'm not sure how sustainable it is um when it's cool there isn't but are there any hesitations you have at all about what it would mean to move to school that maybe is more resourced or you know more affluent etc yeah um just because the school i'm at i feel supported as my most authentic self i can teach whatever i want If I need help with something, I know who to go to. I don't have to sugarcoat anything. And I like that support. And I'm not the only teacher of color. I'm not the only black teacher that students see. So I feel like I can be myself with my students and with the staff. Um, I'm just hesitant that if I go somewhere else that is more resourced, 
it's probably the higher up you go the more white things become yeah. and the more white things become the more i feel like i can't be my most authentic self mm-hmm. um and even if i can be my most authentic self i feel like i might get pushed back from like maybe a parent who doesn't mm-hmm. like my curriculum or mm-hmm. whereas right now like even the parents they get it like that's mm-hmm. their like i'm teaching about their lives you know yeah. so i don't have to like explain myself to anybody um so that pushback does happen i had a parent asked me why I wasn't teaching any classics when I had just talked about how I was teaching Toni Morrison. <laughs> the face you just made. Exactly. <laughs> no, but those are like really, I think, real heady things that I don't know. They, like the same thought process you have are probably things that have been through my mind a lot. Yeah. Um, based on my own experience, I had, so in Minnesota, um, I had volunteered, I had worked at, I had student taught at, a lot of different school districts and a lot of different places with totally different demographics, totally different um, on a spectrum of how much funding the school or the students get. Um, and so I think I I honestly thought to myself, and I had a couple of other teachers of color in my same program, and we, going through the same experience, mutually decided, like, we don't think we want to martyr ourselves. You know, like, we had a really tough time at these places where we weren't getting the support that we needed, either yeah. from staff or from funding. Um, and so when I was looking for a job when I moved out here to California, I, I admit it, I sold out. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Um, I was like, you know what? I want a place that has funding, that has autonomy, has like all these things that I'm looking for. And it meant that the neighborhood that I ended up interviewing and accepting the job for was definitely more affluent, definitely more white, um, and East Asian as well. Um, and I don't know, that was that was a personal choice that I made. It's heartbreaking that as teachers of color, we have to think about if I want to be in a position to, you know, make the kind of money that I deserve for doing yeah. this work, that I have to give up something, yeah. um, something of myself. I have to yeah. give up working with the students whom I care about. Like there, there are gains, but there are also losses. And that shouldn't be the case. Yeah. But that... There are no these. There's not a perfect answer. There's yeah. not a perfect choice. Although who knows? Maybe your dream of having you know a place where you can have it all does exist. Teacher X, you're talking about these kind of individual agency moments that are really powerful and that help you be more whole. Yeah, and you can do all of those individual choices and still show up in a room and in a building and in a district and in a state and a country that is deprioritizing what you do and is deprioritizing the needs of students. And so I think some of what we're wondering is, can we outwork a system? No. Um, I feel like the whole system is fucked up. Like you can take that out. No, that's um, you know, I think <laughs> accurate. Um, I just think we need to break down everything, start over something you the system we have right now is not working obviously right so many teachers are dropping out because like you said like teachers gonna you can do all the small things to make your job easier but you're still in a system that's not valuing you do you think teachers if working together or in coalition would ever be able to write enact these more systemic or policy changes i feel like it can be a start but i think we need more than teachers yeah you think they're working in a larger system that doesn't value black kids, right? Or black people. It doesn't, they only humanize 
whiteness, right? And everybody else gets like the leftovers. So it's not just because like the whole system. And I think everything is done on purpose, right? Like, um, I mean, the district I work is underfunded. The whole like, the whole you know, the yeah. whole city is underfunded, and it's on purpose. Like, it's not, it's not an accident. Everything is happening the way it's supposed to be happening. Mm. Um, so, is change possible? I want to be hopeful and say yes, but also. As a history teacher as well, and seeing like, wait, this shit runs deep. Like, mm. you know, like it's not just education; it's also prisons, it's also health, it's also never, it's, it's gentrification. So it's just like yeah. it keeps, you know. Um, so I want to because I'm not be hopeful. I want to say change can happen. It can't just be teachers though; it needs to be mm. like a multi prong. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, and everybody needs to want that change to happen. But I don't think everybody wants it to happen because I think there are people who are benefiting from mm. the suffering of teachers of color and from the suffering of students of color. And hopefully something can change. I just yeah. don't think it will happen today. What do you think you would need to stay? What would need to happen for you to stay? More community building um, with teachers. So you mean like more like staff-wide culture? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you think that, sorry, now this is getting too yeah, virtual, every, but yeah, we were just talking about this. Do you feel like that staff-wide community building would be there if it hadn't been for COVID? Because Manana and I were reflecting our school and we're like, a lot of our staff meetings, a lot of stuff was happening online, even when we were back in person. And so we feel like in many ways, the pandemic actually kind of impacted the way staff-wide culture was being built. Mm -hmm. And just wondering, like, do you feel like the pandemic had an effect or not so much? I think it did. And I think this year our admin is trying to do more in-person meetings which we can all complain about and I complain about it as well. <laughs> but it is still nice to see people face to face because mm. our school is so big i don't know all the teachers who work there mm -hmm. um or if a kid says like oh so and so like just talking about a teacher i'm like i don't know who that is yeah mm -hmm. so i want to be in a space where i feel more connected to like the staff yeah. um mm -hmm. but i felt that during the strike actually oh, i feel like we all more. bonded more and like him i felt more connected to like the staff culture and i got to talk to teachers who i didn't even know at this we're at the school um but it just sucked that we had to that opportunity was only during a strike right mm. when we had the whole year to build that community so um, i mean i think this is part of the whole also like less prep or like less classes because it's like i think a lot of teachers don't want to spend that extra time having to put in energy to build this since they're yeah, already so stretched thin. exactly well, and it's unpaid time outside your work hours it's like every single work hour plus six more are already taken yeah work yeah i so feel it's like, like they need more they need to literally invest more mm -hmm. like if you work out if you meet up as a whole because they do that actually with the new teachers the newer teachers mm. like first second year teachers um if you work outside of like if you meet up as a whole group and like they, they just do more community building with those teachers mm. um and you're like i'm almost there like can i be included <laughs> right <laughs> so maybe the older teachers they're like mm, i don't care but also if you're like oh that is paid time mm -hmm. 
people are going to be there. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, paid time to build culture is actually so real. Because collaboration matters as, to, as a teacher. Yeah. So we're so glad that we've had this opportunity to talk about what's happening in schools and your experience, Teacher X. You know, this education system that we're all in is impacting people in so many ways. And we know that teachers across the country are facing so much. Um, and we also know that teachers of color face significant challenges. You know, we can talk about the broken teacher diversity pipeline. We can talk about how what teachers of color experience often fits into that problem women of color in the workplace framework. And we can talk about how as teachers of color, we are focused on the support that our students need and that students of color need in particular, that we are tapped into that. Um, and so we're just really grateful that you've been here to give a voice right, to a teacher of color who is in the classroom right now seeing what's happening. Thank you so much, Teacher X, for coming. It's been so interesting getting another perspective considering how we've had very similar and yet also dissimilar experiences as teachers, all three of us. Um, and I think too, you know, Mignon and I doing this podcast, a lot of our reflections is us very much having made a decision to either leave or take a huge break from teaching. And so I think um, our focus for this interview was wanting to, I think, just hear more about what it's like from a teacher who's kind of in it and thinking through things um, in real time. Um, and we, you know, we just want to say we appreciate you so much for your courage and your bravery for coming to speak to us. Um, we know it can be really hard. Uh, there is profession and livelihood and other things at stake, really tangible things. And so coming to share your story is a really big deal. Um, and we thank you. Listeners, get ready, because next episode, we are going to dive into our next arc. Quinn and I are going to talk about when shit really hit the fan. Thank you for joining us as we explore how education is failing teachers of color. We believe education can serve all, not just the few. We envision schools as sites of possibility in education as radical care for community. If this episode sparks something for you, email us at diseducationpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us at disedofficial. Check out the poll in our bio or in the show notes. Subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Finally, Thank you to Anthony Hernandez at The Grill Studio for engineering this episode. And thank you for listening. Next time, we'll talk about what it's like collaborating with Karens. See you next class.